What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 207 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, November 19th, 2020. And I am joined back once again with my steadfast co-host, Michelle Braun. He was, uh, Stephanie was taking over for him, for his stead last week, and I've just now gotten her stink out of my room, and um, everything's returned back to normal. So how you doing, Mike? Welcome back. I'm doing good, uh, but first I want to uh, give a shout out to Stephanie. I think she did a good job, uh, and when it comes to uh, being the ringer, so um, just wanted to give her her props. And uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. Um, we are basically in a semi lockdown here in Washington because things are going. Uh, to 25% capacity and uh, bars have been closed and so on and so forth. So um, I'm starting to see the writing on the wall and uh, with the the rise in COVID cases, I mean, there's been like, what, a million or so? It's been really bad across the United States lately. So uh, I'm pretty much sensing that there's going to be a lot more uh, states that are going to follow suit with at least this kind of thing. But I think if we don't handle things like we should during the holidays, it's going to be a second lockdown. It's going to be everything is going to get locked down again. Yeah, I read something today. I read something today. uh, The Florida mayors are urging Governor uh, Ron DeSantis, which is the governor of Florida, um, they're Mm -hmm. urging him to... Um, take everything more seriously and put in place more precautions. Um, yeah. Even though Florida isn't, we're not experiencing a spike, but we are experiencing, well, honestly, like our, our, our day-to-day new cases, even when things had calmed down, was more than most states uh, now. Like, like most states are like, Oh, we experienced a spike of two thousand new cases in one day, and I'm just over here going like, Psh, we were getting two and three thousand new cases a day back when it was like, when everyone thought the virus was like on the wane. You know, it's like get on our level, mm-hmm. everyone else. Like we've been 
We've been having... Well, I don't think they want to be on your level, so... That's just Florida for you, man. Like, there's a certain... I guess there's just a certain spirit of not giving a fuck out here, and... uh, I mean... It... All I can say is to be as diplomatic as possible, because I have my own thoughts and opinions on it, but I'm just not really going to share that on here, because I know we have medical people who listen, and I don't want to piss anyone off, but... uh, All I can say is that goddamn vaccine can't fucking come soon enough because my... Well, I mean, there's some good news that we have not one but two vaccines that are supposedly uh, effective. And that's that's great, but my job directly relies on bars fucking being open. All of my gigs right now are at bars, not even a singular singular Mm -hmm. restaurant. So if that shit and Ron DeSantis DeSantis is like very anti lockdown and I'm I'm I agree I I don't think it's it's a one size fits all solution I think that that there is some common sense that can be used um, and I think there are some um, you know honestly it's up to the states it's up to the 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 governor or yeah the governors and the kind of the local governance instead of this national like when it first started happening it was like okay everyone kind of freaked out and i think a lot more people were like down for that but we we just got economically raped from the first lockdown and now after a few months you're already talking about a fucking second one and it's just like we as a population have locked fucking corona fatigue and and lockdown fatigue and, Mm -hmm. and i think this second time around people are just fucking sick of it you know, I mean, it, it, I, I, I don't like Donald Trump, but, you know, I do agree with his sentiment that the cure cannot be worse than the uh, disease. And economically screwing over so many people is so much worse than a much smaller percentage of people getting sick and then an even smaller percentage of that dying i mean as fucking cruel as that might sound it's just it's just the reality Mm -hmm. people it's just the fucking reality i don't even want to think about that anyway i know i feel you but i'm I'm just saying i mean it just seems like the writing is a little bit on the wall and here's the thing uh i just hope people follow the right protocols um uh especially over the holidays well, it seems like dang old Josh done stepped in it again. You won't hear any of it, but soon after this portion of the podcast, Josh went into an even deeper rant about his opinions on Donald Trump, the coronavirus, and I think religion was even brought into the mix. An audibly uncomfortable Mike had to reel me in once again, so I hope you enjoy the much more redacted, sensible version of this episode. Yeehaw! I can mention that my mom has been really into watching uh, Life After Scientology with Leia Remini. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's watched, like, all the episodes. And, you know, I I, I was trying to, you know, get her to watch uh, Going Clear, but if you've watched all the episodes of that show, it, it's kind of... There's really no point to watching going. You're clear. talking about Scientology in the aftermath, right? Aftermath. That's okay, what yeah, it is. Because I was like, "What is there a new show with Leah Remini? I don't know about dealing with Scientology." Um, yeah. I, well, I don't know. Going clear is uh, is just so well made. I mean, if if, if, if we're talking like uh, you know, we're we're going to be talking about a documentary on this episode of the podcast. But if, 
if we're talking about like my top like five favorite documentaries of all time, Going Clear is definitely in in that top five. I mean, oh yeah, really, I probably put it. I put it pretty high up there as well. Yeah, like I saw Going Clear back before I gave any shits about Scientology. I only had a working knowledge of it because of South Park and because of uh, Tom yeah. Cruise. Uh-huh. And when I, uh, you know, when, when in South Park, when they do the whole bit of like, this is what Scientologists actually believe, that text at the bottom of the screen when they're explaining Xenu and the Galactic yeah. Overlords, I'm like, what? This is fucking nuts. Like, that was probably, I mean, they've done a lot, South Park's done a lot of controversial stuff, but that was really ballsy to like, just do like, take on the church like that and do a whole episode well, yeah. and, and and you know it, it caused one of their longtime cast members to yeah, leave isaac hayes and then he died yeah. he mysteriously died like what a year or two later or something it was crazy yeah because scientologists believe that if you learn about xenu their galactic the galactic overlord of uh of T- of planet tgac or whatever the original planet that we came from <laughs> planet tj hooker yeah and it, it, they, they honestly believe because you You have to get to OT level three before you can even learn about the origins of Scientology and Xenu. And they they believe Mm -hmm. that if you if you are exposed to this information before you make it to level three, you'll you'll die. You'll get cancer. Your eyes will like burn out of your head and shit like that. So for South Park to like just throw that out there. It, I mean, wouldn't that in a, in in and of itself just automatically disprove Scientology? Because it's like obviously no one died after like learning this information. The way that you're describing it is as if it, uh, if you find out about the identity of you know, or you actually see Zenu, that you your face and your head will melt like the Nazis uh, at the <laughs> end of Raiders of the Lost I lo- Ark. I love that comparison. Um, I. I <laughs> I, that scene, man, I saw that as a kid. It scared the shit out of me, but I, I love it to this day. It was just so well done. Well, yeah, it's a scene that, like, when I was watching it on VHS when I was younger, I used to, like, yeah, look same. away. Like, as soon as, you know, it'd be like, look, don't look at it, that I'd be like, yeah, don't look at it. As soon as I see, like, the ghost or whatever. This is not a politics, religion, <laughs> uh, and coronavirus podcast. The earth uh, is but- flat. <laughs> But we have... Uh, we never went to the moon. It's not a conspiracy theory podcast either, but sometimes it is. Paul McCartney died in 1967. <laughs> but, um, you know, hey, we, have, we haven't uh, caught up in a while, so this tends to happen. Tupac is just... still alive on an island. <laughs> or uh, uh, JFK Jr. That's the, that's the um, most recent... Uh, <clears throat> celebrity is still alive thing that's uh, that's uh being spread oh really yeah a QAnon is apparently trying to say that he has been showing up at trump rallies. oh my god so it all connects together jesus christ except there really isn't much of a connection between any of that in this documentary although there's a little little bit of a thread in terms of corruption in terms of you know absolute uh total fraud kings uh you know making boat buttloads of money and getting away with all kinds of uh shady shit so the documentary we're going to be talking about is class action park um and we're also going to be talking about action park which is the focus of uh this documentary and its founder eugene mulville uh mulvahill 
uh, or as he is uh, more, uh, not just really lovingly, but it seems like he likes to be called Gene more than Eugene. Or Uncle Gene by his employees. Or, yeah, Uncle Gene by his employees. And uh, this is a documentary that aired on HBO Max, uh, actually in August of this year. How the fuck anyone is supposed and to see this documentary? I don't know, because who the hell has HBO Max? There's probably a good amount of people, you know, who have HBO Max. Like, if they got, like, one of those subscriptions with, like, Hulu, and you get HBO Max for a certain, you know, price or whatever. Um, but I, I feel you. Uh, I didn't watch it on HBO Max. I think... <laughs> To be yeah, I mean, honest. Mike, Mike kind of gave me a little bit of a hookup, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> I, any like documentary that is getting put out into the world now, uh, if I'm a uh, producer, I'm wanting that shit on Netflix or Hulu. Net- Netflix yeah. for the first choice, Hulu second, and then maybe if I can't get either of those, maybe like Amazon prime video or or something like that yeah because but i don't blame i don't blame the the producers you know for try you know for making it an hbo max exclusive because it's a new streaming thing and you know there will be eyes what on is it. hbo max i mean there's be, been like a lot what's of, the difference between that and regular hbo uh hbo max is essentially uh what hbo now was but you get some extra content i think hbo has a deal with warner brothers i think what was hbo so now it, it's kind of uh hbo now had uh pretty much uh the hbo programming uh hbo max will have that but it also have other you know warner brothers oh properties. was it was hbo now like the streaming version of hbo essentially basically yeah uh, okay yeah, I will say that HBO uh, in the past historically has done great documentaries, uh, award-winning documentaries. They did. I wouldn't say this is quite on that level. It definitely isn't, you know, award-winning. No. But then again, I don't think it ever really would have been. Like, with this kind of uh, topic, I think the approach that the filmmakers made I thought was perfect. Because it really is the kind of approach that I think works the best with this just insane, wild, uh, ridiculous, true story of this uh, theme park that you you just cannot believe the kinds of insane, crazy shit that went on there. This is the epitome of that meme that I see boomers post all the time uh, where the kid is it shows a picture of a kid like jumping some bicycle ramp. And the picture looks like sepia toned, and it said, "If you grew up in the '70s or '80s, you're not a pussy like kids." Something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah. And it shows yeah. the kid ju- jumping on this, you know, very shoddy looking homemade bicycle ramp, and he's uh-huh. like airborne. And uh, that that the energy of that meme is essentially what sums up Action Park as a whole. Just a bunch of un completely unsafe, unregulated rides. It, with a park that is run by essentially teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Who are, you know, uh, drunk most of the time, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, drunk adults are, 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 are good enough at, you know, that, that's already... Well, they also had those, too. Yeah, that's, all, that's park, already, yeah. like, a good sign <laughs> if you're uh, an adult and drunk and you're supposed to be a lifeguard. But let's, you know, make you a teenager where you have even less ability to think rationally 
and uh, make you the head of uh, a bunch of uh, younger people, and you're supposed to like save their lives if they are, if they yeah. start drowning. So this documentary was directed by Seth Porges and Chris Charles Scott the uh, Third, featured narration by John Hodgman, and there were various uh, different uh, people who were interviewed for this documentary. Uh, you had people who went to the park. And honestly, their recollections were a lot of fun. You know, the people actually were park goers talking about, you know, what went on and and all the kinds of insane stuff that they were a part of and and saw and and did. And then they also interviewed uh, people who used to work at the park. So you got that perspective. Um, And then you got people who worked with Gene and you know we're in a lot of ways were uh, very instrumental in the creation of of these unsanctioned uh, for the for the most part kind of untested rides until like they could just build them and then they start testing them you know yeah shit shit that so, like nowadays would just would not be possible. Uh, it would not no, be possible because of all the lawsuits and all of the you know well, just legal you know, safety red tape. regulations and all that. I mean, you know, they, they get they got this goddamn uh, water slide. It was like a they ball. The- it was a ball, right? Like they, they there was one thing where they actually thought this was going to be a ride. They set up like they made this. Uh, like it was almost like a roller coaster. Uh, uh, I know how to. Track. I know how to describe it. It was like this track made out of thick PVC pipe. PVC pipe, and there was this yeah. huge uh, red sphere, metallic sphere, and there was another sphere, <laughs> a t- smaller sphere inside of it, and it had like these yeah. like ball bearings to where um, I guess the idea was this ball would roll down this track and you would stay i guess stationary inside and it had like a window uh-huh. on it and so you could you know like see outside yeah. as it was going you know but then like uh-huh. for example you know during the summertime they didn't realize that pvc expands when it gets hot and as the ball is yeah. rolling down this track it just the the track just <laughs> falls and, apart and there's somebody in this yeah ball, there's someone in the, the ball way. testing it out it, the the ball rolls off the track down this hill through the highway and into a swamp. <laughs> That's just one yeah. of like at least a dozen uh, rides that were just the one that I was going to bring up was this water slide that literally does a 360 degree loop. <laughs> the cannonball. And loop. so you got to think like at one point you're going to be like totally upside down in this loop and you have to be like you couldn't be too big or you'd get stuck. You couldn't be too small or else your body wouldn't build up enough uh, momentum to go through the loop. And yeah, the guy, Gene would just get his employees, he'd, get, he'd pay them a hundred bucks each to basically be the uh, guinea pigs for the, the ride. Yep. And people were coming out of it with all these abrasions and busted noses. Busted teeth, and then yeah. and then they're they're going like, well, how are people getting all these abrasions? And so they open up the trap door at the top of the loop, and they find teeth that are stuck in the ride when people <laughs> slam their teeth into it, and their teeth got stuck in the yeah. plastic. And then when other people were going through, they were getting cut on other people's teeth. That I mean, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, 
that's some shit you hear about existing in some uh like fucking third world country like like as far as the lack of like regulation and you know it's just like Mm -hmm. oh my god and you know and and the guy makes up an insurance company because no insurance company in their right mind would have you know yeah some like fake insurance company in sweden no i think it was in like the it was in like uh or was it Swiss? I don't, I don't remember like what, that? but it was called uh, London in the World Insurance or something like that. And it was just like, yeah, and yeah. He, he made up all the documents. All the documents were phony. And, uh, you know, because there was no insurance company in their right mind that would have taken this this place on. This guy was the king of amusement park fraud. Uh, Mulva Hill. I mean, 100%. I mean, this guy, you know, even when uh, there were all these people who were getting injured uh, and there was all these problems with this park, he was refusing to settle in any of the lawsuits. Um, And even when the, you know, New Jersey, you know, the state of New Jersey got involved and was trying to get him to stop his shenanigans, he just dug his... You know, his uh, heels in even deeper, you know, just really went in there and w- and went even crazier with shit and was just refusing to be a good tenant on purpose so that they would just give him the land. And it worked. I would say that the uh, a, a, com- a competitor for the title of king of uh, theme park fraud would actually be Jim and Tammy Faye Baker with their Heritage USA theme yeah. park. Yeah, <laughs> they're a pretty close competitor. Yeah, because sure. I will say with Gene, he but did actually produce technically a theme park. He did, but what I mean is like he did produce a theme park, but like I don't, I don't remember any deaths that happened yeah. at Heritage USA. <laughs> that's, that's true. Maybe financial death, but but no physical death. Yeah, this is financial death and and and, and physical death. And, and that was uh, that's one that's one criticism I will I will say about this documentary is that it doesn't maintain. Uh, it, it's got two totally different tones. Yeah, it does yeah? I I do have to admit that it does have this weird tone shift. Yeah. But also at the same time, I don't know how you're going to tell this story without having that kind of tone yeah and i get that but it's it's just like you're watching it at first and you're laughing along with everyone going man look at all these new jersey jackasses and they're like the the florida of uh, uh, up north Uh and uh, everyone's like laughing and joking and then they get to the end and they like go into like these interview uh, parents yeah parents whose like kid died and and now like mm-hmm. it's like you feel like a jerk for like laughing at the beginning you know it's like whoa shit this is like this is like really sad actually no i i, I don't i don't necessarily i didn't necessarily feel like a jerk i think it's just one of those things where that's just action park you know that's the legacy of action park and and i appreciate the fact that it covered all of those bases yeah and, you know, it easily could have not done that because, you know, uh, of worries that there would be some tonal issues and so on and so forth. But I appreciate the fact that they, you know, covered the entirety of it, the good, the bad and the ugly. And uh, there were and they were I honestly thought this was a pretty balanced documentary in terms of its bias, because 
There were plenty of moments where they had people that criticized Gene and didn't call him some genius or some amazing guy. Um, and then, you know, there were other people, you know, who uh, talked about how great the park was and it was such a great time. But then there some of the same people later on are like, I, I, I'm going to like therapy for some of this shit, you know, as an adult. And you're just like, yeah, it is that kind of thing where, you know, you have you know, these memories and these moments that you had at this park that, you know, were fun, but they had this lasting impact on you. And it's not always, you know, the most positive, you know, impact, especially when you, you know, know that, you know, people died there. When I'm watching, like, and that's one thing, this, this, is, this is something that I'll give this documentary, like, in spades, all the uh all the archival footage like that yes. that goes a long way with me with a good documentary is archival footage that's that's something i feel like um uh-huh. for instance like the new unsolved mysteries kind of lacks as they rely too yes. heavily on interviews it's like for me it's like show don't tell um yeah. they also have a great narrator for action park i thought um you know john Hodgson. yeah yeah uh, and, and just kind of the lines, I guess they wrote for him, you know, yeah. it, it opens up and he's like, you can't talk about action park without blah, blah. And they're instantly showing archival footage and it's, you know, of good quality. And it really, yeah, you had like VHS, uh, home movies from, uh, I think, uh, some of the employees. Yeah. You know, so who were, you know, when they're talking about the, uh, the, the, uh, cannonball, uh, water slide, the one that does a 360 degree loop to loop. Yeah. And they're actually showing footage of like, yeah, like how it was to go through it like that really like does a lot for me. It helps you. It, it ha- you know, it really all of this footage, plus these interviews and the people who were there really helped uh, immerse you in this insanity in a way that I don't think would have been as effective, you know, if, if you didn't have all those elements that were that were combined together. I guess at some point, like MTV went to Action Park in like 1993 yes. for yeah. like. Uh, I think Ricky Rackman, Headbangers yeah, Ball. Headbangers Ball, like Ricky Rackman was there, and fucking Allison Chains, like Lane yeah. Staley and Jerry Cantrell were like in their fucking skivvies, like being interviewed, yeah, because they had just done one of the, they were like doing all the rides and shit, yeah, and uh, you know, they're being interviewed, and I'm just like, holy shit, like, and they don't even. The document documentary doesn't even really make mention, you know, but but like no. they just their names. Pop, I, I was like looking at the guy. Yeah. I was like, he looks. I was like, oh shit, that's that's a, a guitarist from uh, Alice in Chains, and that's Lane Staley, yeah. the singer. Oh my god, that's like that's crazy. Oh my god. So yeah, <laughs> so the idea for the park began in 1976 when Gene Mulvihill and his company Great American Recreation. The owners of the recently combined Vernon Valley Great Gorge Ski Area wanted to find a way to generate revenue during the summer. Now, the documentary actually gives you uh, a backstory on Vernon Valley, which is interesting, too, where they talked about how, you know, it's this really idyllic, small community in New Jersey. And then there were, you know, casinos started to pop up and the Playboy Club. And then here comes uh, Gene Mulvihill. It was. Yeah, and he decides to create this uh, fake uh, ski mountain. It was looking like that area you know? was becoming hot. It was looking like it, it could potentially yes. become the next Orlando, as far as or Vegas, oh, or as Vegas. far as destination spots. Yeah. So uh, 
he created this uh, 2,700 foot long alpine slide down one of the steep ski trails. Uh, and he also spent this extra money to create this like machine that would uh, pump out all of this uh, fake snow. Uh, so it could be a year year round kind of thing instead of just a, uh, you know, during the winter type deal. Um, for the summer of 1978, Mulvihill added two water slides and a go-kart track and named the collection of rides the Vernon Valley Summer Park. The following year, more water slides and sm- a small deep water swimming pool, as well as tennis courts and a softball field were added to what became known as the Waterworld section of Action Park. Uh, by 1980, Motorworld had been carved out of swampy lands and a ski area owned across Route 94. Combined, these areas formed one of North America's earliest modern water parks. Ultimately, the small park consisting of the Alpine Slide and two water slides evolved into a major destination with 75 rides at one point in time. Uh, 35 motorized, self-controlled rides, and 40 water slides. Uh, Action Park's most successful years were in the early and mid-1980s, because the 80s were uh, honestly a pretty insane time. (laughs) (laughs) especially you know when it comes to kids and teenagers just going around doing all kinds of shit unregulated and their parents are just like whatever go go outside (laughs) and find something to do come back for you know in time for dinner no cell phones no way to get in touch with the kid you know yep uh most rides were still operating and the park's dangerous reputation had not yet developed uh, and uh, then they mentioned some of the deaths, and we'll get to those later. The park entertained over 1 million visitors per year during the 1980s, as many as 12,000 coming on some of the busiest weekends. Uh, park officials said this made the injury and death rate statist- statistically insignificant. Um, nevertheless, the director of an emergency room at a nearby hospital said they treated 5 to 10 victims of park accidents on some of the busiest days. And it was so bad that they refused to go to uh, Action Park anymore. And they were volunteer uh, paramedics. And they pretty much are like, we're not going to do it anymore. So you better just buy your own fucking ambulances. And that's exactly what uh, Mulva Hill wound up doing. Is buying his own ambulances for his theme park. To treat people who got injured at his park. It is. It's just insane. This is the kind of shit. It would never happen to. Yeah, I mean, it would not it'd never get to that it was, point. It was to such begin a with. small. Vernon Valley was such a small, like bucolic town that you didn't need a fleet of uh, ambulances. But you know, when Action Park's no. bringing in twelve thousand people a day or whatever, um, then yeah, I mean. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, I think it does kind of fall on them to um, provide that that service. And, and you know, I mean, the the comment about um, with the amount of people going, the injuries were statistically insignificant. What that tells me is that if you have twelve thousand people there in one day, a uh, hundred people getting injured doesn't matter because look at all the people that were there. But that's almost like saying. Uh, the coronavirus is only affecting like uh, what 0.3 percent of the American population, so therefore mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's like, well, people are still, you know, uh, dying and and getting hurt, you know. Um, yeah, 
But, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, yeah, do the Tarzan swing. There's like a, uh, a, a there's only like a 2% <laughs> chance something bad's going to happen. You know, you just hope, well, hope yeah. you're not that two in that 2%, you know. Hope you can swim, you know. Otherwise, you shouldn't be doing the the Tarzan uh, swing. The Tarzan swing, uh, the recollection some of the parkgoers had of that uh, whole experience was uh, a riot. It really was. You know, you'd have all the you have this crowd of rowdy New Jersey, uh, you know, people, you know, guys and gals, and you know, hooting and hollering, probably drunk. And, you know, you get on the Tarzan swing and it's like, how, how, it was really high up there, uh, um, from, um, yeah. Cause you had the diving clips, the diving cliffs, um, the Tarzan swing, it was a steel arch hanging from a 20 foot long cable over a spring fed pool. Patrons waited in long lines for the chance to hang from it, swing out over the water, then jump off as the beam reached its height. Uh, some people who let go as soon as they started their swing would land on the cushion because they ultimately they did kind of start to put a cushion there. Uh, they would land in a cushion and then slide and crash into the water. In the mid-1980s, the starting position was shifted so that patrons started over the water. Some patrons hung on too long and scraped their toes on the concrete at the far side. Others used the ride properly, but were surprised to find out the water underneath was very cold. It was cold enough, in fact, that lifeguards sometimes had to rescue people who were so surprised by the sudden chill that they could not swim out of the pool. Uh, and apparently, in 1984, one man actually died from a heart attack after experiencing this. Well, yeah, I mean, because they were talking about in the documentary, they're saying it could be a 90 degree day yeah. out, but the water underneath is spring fed. Which yep. means that it's ice cold because it's not it's coming from the ground, you know, below. It's not being it's not it's not just standing water that's being heated by the sun. You know, it's constantly being fed this ice cold water from this spring. And I dude, I've 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 jumped into a pool of ice cold water before. And yeah, dude, your body will definitely go into shock. I mean, you, you're yeah. you're immersing yourself. You're going from like you know, however many degrees and you're dropping like 40 or 50 degrees colder than what you're. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely do. And, and it, I could see but on top of that, you have these, you know, completely just rowdy, obnoxious uh, New Jersey guys. And in and, and, and some uh, instances, gals who are just heckling people. Yeah. I mean, it was like <laughs> this, uh, you know, you know, there was like this, 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 gallery where all the people waiting were watching the people who would jump and you know if they weren't able to swim or whatever uh they would just start heckling them be like come on you pussy and all this other kind of you can't you can't you you queer fucking move your arms what are you pussy and you know the lifeguard didn't do shit you know they just they just kind of let it let it happen uh you had people who would you know they wouldn't follow the rules they would they would be they would do backflips off the swing they would do all these kinds of moves and shit. They would flip, you know, the middle finger and then they, you know, drop off or you'd have the the women would like take their tops off. You know, it's just it's just unregulated madness. Sounds like something that would go on in like like if your buddy had like 20 acres uh, and there was some huge lake 
party. It, so- it yeah. sounds like something that would go on in a place like that. It doesn't sound like something that that would be something that would go on in a place you have to buy a ticket for where there's like exactly. it's like a professional for all intents and purposes, a professional kind of a facility. You know, you, you wouldn't think that kind yeah. of uh, it's it definitely wouldn't be happening in 2020. Jesus Christ. For 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 like no. a million different reasons, but um, yeah, I mean, it was a fucking, it was a more, I, I want to say more innocent time. But it, just because something's a more innocent time doesn't always mean it was better or it was good. Um, I think it was an innocent time, and and, and it was uh, the bad example of innocence, like um, more mischievous, I guess, than um, yeah. than innocent chaos yeah pretty much um that's that's really the best way to describe this park it's just a you know a park of chaos so uh here's some other uh water attractions so you had the aqua scoot which was invented by ken bailey in the early 80s uh riders would carry a hard solid plastic sled up the top of the ride go down a slide consisting of rollers akin to those found in factories or warehouses or assembly lines Probably similar to the ones you were working with yes. at Bacardi, oh, yeah. right? We had those exact same kind. And they would end up in a pool in most areas that was no deeper than a puddle. The idea of the ride was to, once the sled hit the water, skip across the water like a stone. In order to do this, the rider had to be in a certain position, leaned back. If the rider was not in this position, the sled would sink into the water as soon as it hit the pool, flinging the rider off head first, which often resulted in head injuries. Other times, riders would be leaving the pool only to have others crash into them as they were riding. And this ride consisted of parallel slides originally. At some point in the mid-1980s, a third slide was added. Each slide was 30 feet long, uh, which is, you know, decent height. And they were talking about things like, oh, no, it's the other one. Oh, the the big, giant, uh, uh, super speed water slides where people would, you know, just get a colonic. You know, you'd go down the fucking slide and just be so fucking fast that you just wind up getting, you know, a taste of what it would be like to get a colonic. That Aqua Scoot one, that was the biggest fuck no I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I mean, it's like you start, it's like, it's like a big slide, right? But, but it's probably like 20 or 30 foot in the air. It's this like steep in like more than way more than 45 degree angle and it's these fucking roll it rollers that you'd see in like a factory and that's and uh-huh. you're on this plastic lid essentially that's got handles on each side that you and, and if i mean what if you were to let go of the handle or something while you're sl- you would there was no safeguards uh, as the guy was saying in the video, like I didn't want my finger or nuts to get caught in that, you know, uh, in that uh, the, one of those rolling pins. I mean, it, and it's like you have to. Oh my god, it was just like so, like dangerous that's, and archaic that's, in a lot of ways. It's like having a, a fucking busy uh, intersection with no traffic lights, and you just have to like, well, hopefully it all goes all right, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're not the only lump only one that was like not wanting to have anything to do with the aqua scoot because you had uh chris gethard who's interviewed a lot in this and he's like i i was just gonna aqua scoot you know the fuck out away from that ride you know because it's like i'm not even gonna even you know attempt to do that one um there were the roaring rapids and this was fucking ridiculous. Like, you know, that one was pretty bad. But then, of course, there's a Colorado River ride, 
But, you know, the Roaring Rapids, this is a standard standard raft-based whitewater ride. Uh, reports said that the park uh, filed with the state in 1984 noted fractured femurs, collarbones and noses, and dislocated knees and shoulders. I mean, it was like you had... It, w- it was like the uh, the topography of the rapids themselves. It looked like it was like all like a plastic mold to mimic the shape of rocks and shit. Mm-hmm. And the only th- and unlike real rapids where it's like several several feet of deep water, yeah, this was like this this like not even a foot of water that you were kind of like riding. Through it seems like. And what's crazy about this is the initial tests were like absolutely awful because he was trying to make it as if it was a class five rapid, like the experience of of you know whitewater rafting and class five rapids, and uh, as a result, you know the the people that tested it out like they would show up unconscious after the end of of the fucking ride. Yeah, I mean, it, so they it, had to ultimately you know make it less insane, but it was still really dangerous because there was you know look at all those injuries and there was a lot of people who would just uh, almost like fly out of the trough or something, and there would be people who would be like watching. You know, the people ride this ride and they would be like placing bets and waiting to see if somebody's going to fly, you know, off and out of the trough and like to their doom, you know, you know, outside the ride. Yeah, I'm like looking at a picture right now. There's like there's literally no safeguard as soon as you go into this thing, whatever happens, happens because there's there's. There's no kind of like barrier or like padded anything to make, you know, like when you when you ride go karts, it's almost impossible to get injured if you're riding like an adventure landing or something. Like yeah. I don't know if you have those over there in, in Washington, but no. Oh well, in Jacksonville, like it's it's like they have uh, go karts and uh, you know the go kart has this like big ass you know s- like smooth bumper that goes around the whole go kart and and like everywhere on the yeah. wall is padded and you know it, you can only go a certain speed and it's like literally impossible to like injure yourself. It's not the funnest thing in the world, but it's at least it's safe and there's like the liability there isn't going to be you know anything with this. It's just like there is none of that. It's just literally like as soon as you commit to it then whatever i mean like hopefully it goes right for you but like most of the time it didn't but they didn't report those injuries because i think the government was like you only report serious injuries but it was up to gene and uh to gene to decide what was a quote-unquote serious injury so like 90 percent of the injuries never even got reported you know nope and uh, this wasn't the only uh, uh, ride that took place in that exact, uh, you know, that mold of like our, you know, uh, river rocks and stuff. This was like that was part of a two part deal. And the other part was the Colorado River ride. And this is a two person raft uh, that winds its way down a heavily wooded area on the side of the park with numerous forks, allowing riders to take different routes Unlike in other parts, the river trough was uh, crafted to look like a natural riverbed. 
Um, so I think actually it seems like this is the one that was, you know, closest to, uh, the rapids thing. And the one we were talking about earlier, the roaring rapids, that's the one where people would just get in these tubes, these inner tubes. And like, they would just bump they would just constantly just crash into one another. And there would be, you know, just this ridiculous amount of traffic and congestion and, you know, people would uh, break bones because, you know, the sudden stop and, you know, scraping or like their foot is hanging out and then it slams into the rocks or some shit. Like people were talking about how, like, you know, me and my friend, like we had to like push off the wall at the right point. Otherwise, we get really fucked up. <laughs> you know, you're like, Jesus. And this is fun. You know, this is fun for, you know, a lot of people. I know I know a lot of my friends, like, personally, like, especially when they were younger, who would have totally went to Action Park, and they would have loved it. Like, yeah. my cousin, my friend Trey, um, I know quite a few. Uh, me, I would have been the pussy that was like, I'm not doing any of this shit. I don't think there was a, I don't <laughs> think there was a single ride in, the, in this documentary that, that I would have actually done. Because yeah. I I'm just like every single bit of it looked uh, very unsafe. I mean, you had Surf Hill, which was uh, a uh, water slicked uh, slope surface on mats into small puddles until they reached a foam barrier after an upslope at the end. The barriers between lanes were minimal and people frequently collided with, the, with each other on the way down or at the end. The seventh lane was known as the backbreaker due to its special kicker two thirds of the way down intended to allow jumps and splashdowns into a larger puddle. Employees at the park used to like eating at a nearby snack bar with a good view of the attraction, since it was almost guaranteed that they could see some serious injuries, lost bikini tops, or both. Yeah, they would get, like, what, 15 feet? They would get some serious fucking hang time, man, on these mats, as they just shoot a fly of fucking air. And even the water slides were the same. There was this one water slide. They were talking about it. it. It was like a normal water slide, but you couldn't see anything because everything's janky. Uh, because a lot of these rides were built by, you know, a bunch of nuts. Bunch of coke, that, uh, bunch of coked Gene... out, uh, uh, <laughs> like, uh, uh, ride developers that Disney yeah. wanted nothing to do with. And they would, exactly. and these guys would, like, seek out Gene and be like, you know, yeah, let's just like add a fucking loop de loo here and just shoot them out, you know, ten feet above the actual water, you know. Yeah. And so yeah, the slide, you would go down the slide, and at the point when you're expecting, you know, oh, I'm gonna wind up in the water, everything's unexpected and sudden. So you go down the slide, okay, whatever, and then all of a sudden you're in the fucking air, and you had people that were like. Oh my God, am I going to die? You know, because you're like, you're 10 feet, 15 feet in the air, uh, you know, just hanging there, and then you land in the Which water. Which I think, you know, is 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 a high enough height for you to be like, what, wait, what the fuck? You know, why, yeah. why, what? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like the ride just ended. It's like that, you know, the stuff that happens when you see a movie or whatever, and the train is going down the track, and like the track isn't finished. You know, and it goes off the cliff. Well, in this in this uh, instance with this water slide, like that was the ride. You go down the fucking tube. It's not finished, and you just pop out the other side randomly, 
and you'd just be in the air. So there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't know what to do, understandably. So they'd hit the water, you know, they get injuries that way. And then there was something called the diving cliffs, which is it's laid out kind of like a, a grotto. Uh, but th there were these cliffs. One was 23 feet and another 18 feet above a 16 foot deep pool. However, the pool below was not blocked off from those who might be swimming in or away from other attractions. And nothing at water level gave any indication to swimmers below that they could expect people to dive in right next to them or right on top of them. Like some people thought like, oh, this is like a, a reprieve away from, you know, the madness of the park. And then, boom, somebody just fucking teabags your ass. You know, it's just, and you know, the kind of stuff that is unbelievably unsafe. And it's just crazy that this park was allowed to be open for as long as it was, you know, with these kind of things. You know, people, uh, they didn't know how to uh, land properly, so you'd have a lot, a lot of people who would dive off the cliff and they'd, uh, you know, land in the water wrong and they would disclo dislocate their shoulders. Yeah, because when you jump in, like, okay, when you were, like, jumping off that, that rock dive, it was 20 foot in the air, and you're supposed to cross your arms, uh, like, you know, how you would lay in a coffin or whatever, how you would think. You're supposed to do that yeah. when you jump into the water because if your arms are out and your arms hit the water... From such a height, you 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 could dislocate your shoulder, and people would do that a lot of times. Which I would, dude. That's another thing I will say. Watching this documentary, I cringed so much when watching a lot of these rides because I'm just looking, going, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like like what if like you know just your body scraping against like cement going down a certain yeah. ride or I know like the the dislocated limbs or yeah, it's just like God damn, this is like every. Yeah horrific thing that could happen to you physical injury wise i can think of yeah and speaking of injuries they even had a skateboard park it briefly existed near the ski area ski school building but it closed after one season due to poor design the bowls were separated by pavement which in many cases did not meet the edges smoothly former park employee tom fergus was quoted in the magazine weird new jersey as saying that the skate park was responsible for so many injuries, we covered it up with dirt and pretended it never existed. <laughs> so, okay, you have these insanely dangerous water rides, but you also had other rides that were equally as dangerous. So you had Motor World, which you had these super go-karts, which allowed guests to drive around a small loop track at, at, a speed, at speeds of about 20 miles per hour. Uh, but park employees knew how to circumvent the governors, which were these uh, devices that, you know, prevented the cars from going, you know, faster than 20 miles per hour by wedging tennis balls into them. And they were known to do so for guests. So as a result, otherwise standard small engine cart ride became an opportunity to play bumper cars at 50 miles an hour. And many injuries resulted from head on collisions. Also, the cart's engines were poorly maintained and some riders were overcome by gasoline fumes as they drove. But yeah, you have stories of employees who are saying, yeah, I rode down the highway going 60 miles an hour in a go-kart. And there would be a lot of... Uh, this is the attraction that a lot of adults would take part in after they like down like a ton of beers at the beer garden. 
the you know because the beer garden was close to where the super uh, go karts were, so you'd have a bunch of drunk adults, you know, who are just absolutely hammered getting into fucking go kart. It was just a disaster. Um, apparently, uh, there was some other stuff. There was the Lola cars. They were miniature open cockpit race cars on a longer track. Extra money was charged to drive them. Uh, they could also be adjusted for speed by park employees with similarly har- harmful consequences to riders. Former employees have said that the, after park management briefly set up a microbrewery nearby, employees would break into the brewery, steal the beer, and then take the cars out and ride them on Route, route 94. <laughs> so the employees would be doing this shit. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're saying, they, yeah, because they were able to remove the governor in the car that limited yeah. its speed. And... Um, so they were able to go like I think like around sixty was its peak speed that it could go. That doesn't mean that you should drive it at its maximum speed. I mean, so no. much bad shit. I mean, and you're on the highway like where cars are designed to go like up to eighty or, or faster, and most people do drive no. way faster than sixty on the highway. And you're in a go kart with no any kind of protection i would that's arguably like just as bad as driving a motorcycle on the highway and but motorcycles can at least go god i can't i can't even imagine driving a motorcycle on the highway at like 65 70 miles an hour that's insane no dude. you're fucking and you can't imagine driving a go-kart at that yeah. speed either on a highway. you're just dead you are human ground beef as soon as you get into it you could hit a rock wrong at that point ugh and, uh, you know, if you think that's bad, uh, then you have the battle action tanks. It was one of the most popular rides in motor world and it was free featured prominently in television ads for an additional fee. Guests could enter a chain link fence enclosed area and operate small tanks for five minutes at a time. The tanks were equipped with tennis ball cannons that enabled riders to shoot at a sensor prominently mounted on each tank. If hit the tank stopped operating for 15 seconds while other guests often took advantage of the de- of the delay to hit the disabled vehicle with more fire, and uh, they actually used real fire. <laughs> They're talking about all this crazy shit where people there would be guests, you know, rowdy teenagers who would uh, get into the battle tanks and they would find a way and uh, light the tennis balls on fire, and they'd be shooting at people with tennis balls that are in flames i mean god it's just absolutely unreal can you imagine just you know you know just thinking oh it's just a little harmless ride and then oh my fucking god it's just fucking kingdom of heaven and there's just fucking fiery you know uh blasts just Oh yeah, I had you. mentioned Kingdom of Heaven that movie in my last week in the Josh yeah. Flower Diaries. I, I have you seen that movie? Yeah, I think yeah. you commented and you said you had. Yeah. I still I, I fell asleep three times watching that movie. I don't, the even, I don't even remember what it was about. The Crusades. Oh, why the fuck would I want to watch a movie like that? Even back then, you'd probably rather uh, get into uh, a. Fight with uh, other, you know, people in battle action tanks shooting flaming tennis balls. Oh, then yeah. then watch uh, Kingdom of Heaven, right? Hells yeah! <laughs> so you had watercraft, uh, watercraft rides, if I can uh, speak properly. Uh, you had super speed boats and bumper boats. 
So the super speed boats were set up in a small pond known by the park staff to be heavily infested with snakes. They could be driven around a small island at 35 to 40 miles an hour, while unlike the land vehicles, there was no way to tamper and increase their speed, and many riders nonetheless used them to play bumper boats, and one seriously inebriated rider had to be rescued by the attendant lifeguard after his boat capsized following a collision. And then they're talking about the water, which is like soaked with uh, oil and, and gas. Yeah. And run off from the uh, the the a hill like dirt like a uh, muckiness on the hill and mm-hmm. uh, human uh, waste. So yep. just some of the most vo- volatile, toxic ass water and snakes on top of all that. And then you have volatile people, these volatile guests, like this one guy who uh, you know, he was on the speedboat and it got out of control and he just flew like up in the air and then landed on top of this other guest who was in a boat. He was in a speedboat. I think he had just stopped or something. And he was ready to get off the ride. And then this fucking dumbass lands right on top of him. And it, it and the situation was prevented from getting worse by luck and also by uh, the, one of the park uh, employees who, like, took a stick and poked the guy, you know, off the, you know, actually she took a stick and, like, stopped the the boat from continuing to throttle because he was still throttling the fucking boat while he's on top of this guy. (laughs) And then he eventually just jumped off and ran off into the night. And, uh, and by some crazy miracle, the guy underneath the boat wasn't seriously injured. It's crazy. And then the guy just walked away. Like he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. He just walked, he just ran off, you know, to do more crazy shit. That seems like, you know, that's that's just the norm at Action Park. And and a lot of people have had nicknames for it, like Traction Park, which is a great nickname, because a lot of people usually did wind up, you know, in some kind of, you know, uh, hospital-required injury, uh, They you know, stay... Uh, or, you know, just injure themselves uh, badly enough to, you know, need a hospital visit. And uh, even the most innocuous attractions, which is just this kayak ride. It was just like, oh, just kayaking in a little lagoon. And, you know, there's no bumper cars. There's no speedboats. There's no anything. And somebody died. They were just kayaking in this kayak attraction and they were electrocuted to death because of the incompetence of Mulvihill and company who allowed to have an ungrounded fan electric fan under the water so like even even the most innocuous rides could you know cause somebody to be you know fatally uh, uh, injured or you know in this instance uh completely uh taken off this earth entirely and then we have the alpine slide the infamous alpine slide jesus fucking christ this thing i'm surprised people didn't sign waivers before they got onto this ride so this was a 2700 foot long alpine slide that descended the mountain beneath one of the ski area's chairlifts which provided guests access to the top of the slide. Riders sat on small sleds that only had a brake slash accelerator control stick 
and rode down the slide in long chutes built into the slope. The ride, more specifically the sleds, became notorious for causing injuries. The stick that was supposed to control the sled's speed in practice offered just two options on the infrequently maintained vehicles, extremely slow and a speed described by one former employee as death awaits. The chutes the sleds traveled in were made of concrete, fiberglass, and asbestos, <laughs> which led to serious abrasions on risers who took e- on riders uh, who took even mild falls. The tendency of guests to ride in bathing suits made the problem even worse. The path underneath the chairlift resulted in verbal harassment and spitting from passengers going up for their turn. And they would also drop their sleds onto the the track. Because people were being, you know, little trolls and, you know, just trying to create their own bit of anarchy and chaos. So they'll just drop fucking sled in the track, you know, hoping that somebody will hit it going at, you know, death await speed and then just fucking eat it on the concrete so yeah the alpine slide is is the one where you had one of the really you know all of these deaths were tragic and awful but um the this the alpine slide is when you had this 19 year old man who was riding the alpine slide uh when his car jumped the track and his head struck a rock and they actually interview uh his parents in this documentary and you could tell, like, his mother, rightfully so, like, hates Gene. You know, he thinks he's just this garbage human being, and uh, understandably so, because of how he handled things. I mean, didn't take any responsibility for it, even made up absolute lies during the, you know, the trial, or even before that, like, in the media. Like, if, there was, like, a newspaper article, and he was trying to say that, oh, well, he was an employee of the park, and uh, he was riding the alpine slide at night, and it was raining, and none of that was true at all. And uh, I think they eventually did win that case, and they got like, what is it, ten million? No, or something? they only got a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, they only got a hundred thousand. That was another case, which was I think uh, I think was like one of the drowning cases. I think, um, but yeah, they only got a hundred thousand dollars out of that. And um, there were other deaths. There were multiple drownings in the wave pool, which they called the grave pool because people, you know, so many people wound up drowning in the tidal wave pool. Uh, And they show footage of this pool and it is just absolutely uh, unbelievable, like just how uncontrolled and just crazy these waves are. Like the waves aren't even that crazy all the time in 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 the actual ocean so it's just like just absolutely um unsafe there's no way you can properly you know help anybody or or you know really uh they did save a lot of people but there's no way to really effectively keep track of everybody you know someone's gonna you know uh get uh lost when you're looking for you know people under the water and uh, uh, one of the guys who uh, was uh, interviewed, who was a park goer, uh, he mentioned how, you know, th- you know, there should never be a second death, you know, in the wave pool. You should just close the wave pool. Right. 
Yeah, he's he, yeah. I mean, which totally, you know, I totally agree with that. You know, he's like, he's like, y- you feel bad for the second son of a bitch who dies in the wave pool because there should there should have never been a second death because after the first death they should have shut it down. They were painting the bottoms of all these uh, pools white so they could see the bodies easier because it was hard to yeah. see with the color that it was currently. It's insane, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Really, really crazy. So eventually, uh, uh, the park wound up being uh, closed uh, in 1996. Uh, the personal injury lawsuits uh, uh, started to catch up with uh, Gene and with the park. Also, his powerful uh, friends in the local government, they were no longer in power. There was this one guy that he was really close with that apparently would just give him all this money. I mean, that'd be really nice. That would, wouldn't that be nice to have, know some guy who would just like funnel you cash, you know, if, 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 you, if you needed it? Um, so this guy would just funnel cash, and then he would also, because he had this power in, in, the, in the township, in, in, in the state, you know, he'd be able to, you know, pull things and, you know, put, throw things under the rug, so to speak. Um, but also, there was the added caveat Despite how dangerous this park was and how unsafe it was, it was bringing in a lot of revenue for this township, for for Vernon. And there was a lot of people who had jobs because of it. And, you know, a lot of, you know, kids, you know, who were able to bring in income and then, you know, other people. Uh, And so and it was also creating tourism. So people would go to the park and then they would go to the other, you know, restaurants or or. stores in the area so there was a reason to continue to uh allow people to to uh be the center of the action at action park and i think the slogan is actually uh really true because they say there's nothing in the world like action park and there really isn't anything in the world i mean like if you when you think of something that was like an actual sanctioned park that you could pay to go to at some point in time uh i especially in the united states i don't think there was anything like action park a good thing yes (laughs) for sure but i mean there's a lot of people who you know they have these really fond memories of the park and i think that's wonderful and that's great i mean you look at the comment section on the trailer for this and there are people like you know people need to stop being such pussies man you know, that could, they, you know, it's probably and, and there is something to be said about learning how to uh, fend for yourself and, and so on and so forth. But I think you can do that in ways that are more safe and, you know, don't result result in you being in traction or breaking an arm or dead. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it's too wimpy. But I mean, you know, you got like roller coasters out there now that that yeah. are very safe and very crazy. And you can get you can experience some G's. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and speaking of like that was insane. There was like a guy. Oh, I think like he was saying that the only other place other than like the Navy or, or NASA where you can experience like nine G's is in the cannonball loop at Action Park. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you, you, that's the momentum you would need to do a fucking 360-degree loop-de-loop. <laughs> Good lord. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of people got injured at the park, and a lot of people had a lot of crazy memories. And uh, I think there are people who legitimately are nostalgic for the park. But I, I like the I like the quote from one of the people that's interviewed in this documentary where he says that you know they're nostalgic for the park, but I think they're also nostalgic for their childhood. Well, yeah, you know they're nostalgic for you know that that time when they could just go on their bikes and hang out with their friends and go to the park. You know, they're nostalgic for that. You know, now they're adults and, you know, they don't they don't really have that freedom. They're nostalgic for that freedom that, that they had when they were kids. I, I think that's, you know, I think that is nostal- the very definition of nostalgia. You know, you, you, you I mean, I guess one thing that I can compare that to is like uh, a lot of people got into like video game collect. A lot of millennials got into video game collecting in like 2015 and from like 2015 to like 2000 and I would say actually from like 2013 to like 2017 there was like this big boom in re- like Nintendo and Super Nintendo video game collecting cuz a lot of millennials got into like their mid to late 20s and they you know wanted to relive their childhood and they'd buy all these video games and, and you know, essentially you felt like you were buying back your, your youth or your past. And um, unfortunately, it, it never really works the, that way. It's never, it's never quite as good, you know, as, as you remember no. it. But I think there are some people that uh, with that video game thing, I mean, there were some people who got into it late. They just got into it because like, oh, it's money. You know, it's, it's, you know, and a lot of, there were other people that got into it because they wanted to, you know, get the bragging rights. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was definitely a lot of that going on too. And then you had, you know, the vultures that kind of prey upon any market that looks like it's going to be like the next big thing. And for a while there, but at least with those things, I don't think anybody, you know, died. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's like. Going to garage sales and going to, you know, all these game swaps, you know, looking for Nintendo That's games. That's the crazy thing about, like, like staying in the town that you grew up in, like me with Jacksonville. Like, I can go to the Orange Park Mall and it's, it, it aside from a few stores being different, it essentially looks exactly the same as it did 15 years ago. So... So it's just trapped yeah, in time. Yeah, it is. So I can go in there and I get all these really melancholy feelings of being a teenager and all the Josh flower emotions start popping up inside, welling up inside me when I'm in the orange park mall. And I always get a bit of sadness when I go in there. Cause like I used to go there all the time when I was a, a teenager and it's just crazy to be in like a snapshot of time like that. Um, that's why like, when I go to places I don't have memories in and, and I make new memories like that aren't sad, I have better uh, I have better ideas of those places because it's like, oh, here's a place I wasn't sad at 15 years ago, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's part of why people, you know, cherish their memories of, of, of uh, their time at the park because they weren't sad. Right. It, you know, a lot of them, they were I'm, having I'm sure, fun. I'm sure, you know... You know the, a documentary definitely needed to be, be made on a park where people died. But with, with that being said, I, I, I definitely think that probably more people than not had a great time there, you know. 
They knew what they were yeah. in for. They saw the commercials. They heard that, you know, there, I'm sure there was word of mouth about how it was, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, was, it became like this rite of passage for teenagers right. in that area. So it wasn't like they were... You know? They were going there expecting a teacup ride, and then they got all this, and they're like, "Oh my god, I, I've been bamboozled!" You know, they knew what they were they knew what they were in for. And you know, like a lot of uh, people said in the documentary, you know, it was a park that really only could have thrived and succeeded yeah. in the eighties. You know, yep. in the decade of excess. You know, in the decade of you know uncontrolled capitalism and all of these things. Um. And, you know, it just it, it, it uh, reached a point where it was no longer profitable and, you know, Gene wasn't powerful enough or, you know, didn't have enough people on his payroll or in his pocket to be able to handle all these lawsuits. And, you know, it just closed its doors, you know, and uh, probably for the better. I mean, <laughs> who knows? I mean, if it was open any longer, more people probably would have died. All right, speaking of nostalgia, we can move on to our next segment of the podcast, and we'll wrap it up. And melancholy teenage memories. Yeah, and as I'm taking a little preview of the uh, of the entry here, I'm, I'm even talking about the mall. So isn't that funny? Wow. This is the perks of being a Josh flower. Um, as, I, as I've described before, if you haven't figured it out by now, uh, I have... I found my um, diary entries on my on a hard drive on my computer. I knew I had them. I just didn't know where they were. So for the past few months, I've been reading a couple entries per episode on here. And um, I wrote in this bitch uh, a lot, almost every day at certain points in my life. And um, you guys have heard me go through the early uh, teenage years with my friend Stephanie, who never really gave me any play. And then Lisa, who turned out to be a better friend in retrospect than what I thought. And then uh, being hung up on Casey, who I'm sure I will mention in this next entry as well. Um, so, yeah, here we go. And I, I do really need to preface this before I go into this, because I actually had to stop one of my entries in mid-read uh, last week because uh, d- just how uh, just ignorant and uh, close-minded I was as a teenager, as most teenagers are. Not that I'm trying to say, oh, everyone else is, so that's okay for me. Um, If anything uh, comes across as offensive, just know that I said these things 15 years ago and I don't stand by them anymore. Unless it's something that I still agree with, in which I will will make note of that. Anyway, this is from Friday, May 27th, 2005. Well, I did not get to go to the mall with Jeremy... In fact, he went to the mall with someone else, so he blew me off, then I called a lot of people, and they never returned my calls, as usual. Yeah, then I cleaned my room, and then I went out to eat with my cousin at Joseph's Pizza. That place sucks! Everything sucked! (laughs) 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 Eh, Typical Josh. Uh, It's over on the north side, so there was a good deal of... Jesus, Josh. Anyway. So everything sucks? Yeah, everything sucks. What do you mean by everything sucks? Uh, that place sucks. Every- oh, I said that place sucks. Everything sucked. So I guess everything at that yeah. restaurant was not good to me. Um, Which is interesting because there's no way that you probably had everything that night. Yeah. At that restaurant. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so 
then I go on, dude, I'm so tired of putting forth all the fucking effort to try to see these people. So I'm not even going to bother anymore. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the people I tried to call and hang out with that never returned my calls. So I'm not even going to bother anymore. I'm just going to stay home. And if someone wants to do something, they can fucking call me. If not, fuck them. I ain't got no friends anyway. And I'm fine with that. I'm all alone in this world any fucking way. So I ain't worried about it. Everyone who I have cared for backstabs me or blows me off anyway, so it's alright. My family are like the only people I can think of who hasn't done either of those things, so whatever. I can't wait until I can drive next year. I think next year might be good. I will go out likely every frickin' night, man. If I hadn't waited so long, I could be driving fucking now. God, oh well. Well, today pretty much blue. I guess next week before I start work, uh... I guess the week before I start work has just sucked balls. No one fucking cares, you know? No one gives a shit. They don't care that I was trying to see them before I had to work. I know the world doesn't revolve around me. Oh, that's a lie, Josh. That is a lie. You do not know that the world doesn't revolve around you. All your statements up until this point have proven that you don't understand the world doesn't revolve around you. I digress. But I could at least feel like I belonged to this world. I called Amber today. She said she'd call me back. I knew she wouldn't. I know she's not looking for a relationship. She just wants to fucking leave. And I'm not necessarily wanting something that like that because I always say if they'll do it to you, they'll do it to someone else because I ain't special in any way except my music. So I guess this post was a downtrodden one, but I really feel this all the time in the back of my mind. But also, like I always say, these posts are always about how I feel at the time. These aren't long-lasting universal fear- feelings, but some things never subside. So Jeremy was one of my, Jeremy was wow. one of my good friends back then. <laughs> he lived on the same street as me. Mm-hmm. Amber was that chick who graciously, randomly made out with me in the back of her friend's car that one time. And then I, because that was like the only kind of girl attention I I had gotten at that point. I was like in love with her, of course, because yeah. like you know. Oh my God, you showed me attention and you, you let me kiss you. Like, I love you. Will you marry me? Like, and I love how I said, Mm. uh, all she wants to do is fucking leave as if I wasn't interested in that. I would have totally been down for that. Are you kidding me? Um, all right. So that's a, that's a cheery one there. Uh, pretty, pretty in keeping (laughs) with everything else I've ever said in this, in these diaries so far. Uh, next we have Tuesday, May 31st, 2005. First day of work today, dot, 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 sucked. (laughs) Everything hurts. My feet, my back especially, and my hands. This sucks. It was so boring. Tearing a bunch of cases of booze apart and checking for defects that you can barely see for 10 hours. But I guess I'm going to have to stick it out because damn it if I'm staying home and watching my dick get smaller. And this way... This way I can already tell I'm losing weight, so it's like a two-for-one thing. I have to go to bed at like nine every night. God! In the first week, I don't even get paid. Bro. Okay, well, fuck this, and you. Casey, you're a hardcore kid. How disappointing. I like periods. Because I, us- I, us- I was using a lot of periods in this post. I don't know. Uh. I-, I guess Casey had a... <laughs> I think I checked Casey's Zanga or something, and she had a okay. uh, an Under Oath song on there on her mm-hmm. music player. And Under Oath was like a hardcore band back in the day. Yeah. So I was like, I was like E two Brute because I thought she was like one of those people yeah. that wasn't into that shit. It seems like you that job was the perfect job for teenage Josh. Like it's a, <laughs> it's a job that you earned. 
and you deserve <laughs> just complete crap boredom yeah it was karma yeah exactly wednesday june 1st 2005 hey zanga you freaking dork well today was n- normal hard labor my hands are dried about because of all the alcohol i had to handle today i had to pour bad bottle out perfectly good alcohol just bad labels i'll take the shit it's perfectly good what a waste but yeah, now my hands are all dried out and I'm starting to break out. I don't know why. I got a shit and my heels hurt from standing all day. Thanks for layout, Katie. It's awesome. I mean that. Every time I eat Subway, my pulse speeds up. Weird. Okay. Well, I'm like in a tired haze right now, so I'm going to go shit. Bye. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm clearly enjoying my job at um, Picardi. So when you were working back then... Would you uh, rather work a long, boring shift at the Bacardi factory or uh, risk your life at Action Park? Oh, Action Park over Bacardi, for sure. I, fu- I really, really, really dislike that. Dude, it was 10 hours, man. Like, that. that, that is, that's yeah. it's a long motherfucking time to just stand around. Like, I mm-hmm. have get karaoke gigs that are, like, five hours, and those can be kind of brutal, like, how boring and long they are. Um. Yeah. All right. I guess it'll, this will be the last one I'll read, and then I'll uh, then I'll uh, fucking we'll, we'll wrap it up. Monday, June six, two thousand and five. Hello, Zanga. I started my second week of work today. It was tough and long. Sucked pretty much. I've been talking to this kid named Greg, who I work with. He seems pretty cool until today. I figured out much more about him than I needed to know. He asked me what people label me at school, and I said that people are usually confused when they meet me because they don't know what to label me. And he said, they call me Emo Boy. And I was thinking to myself, oh God, all summer with an emo kid. And he was telling me all about his bullshit fad he was into, and I was pretending to go along with it. I actually kept a lot of things to myself that I wanted to say, but I kept my mouth shut for once, which I think is smart. So I asked him, When did you discover that you were emo? Kind of joking, almost. And he said, since I was born, but I just didn't dress it or act it. So I said, you've been emo this whole time and they've just now come out with music for you? How sad. And he's like, yeah, I know. So apparently you are born emo. LOL. Bullshit. Doesn't doesn't begin to describe that statement. I hate emo kids. I seriously do. They are the lowest group of people on the chain of fads. They are your immature, haven't experienced life yet, little prepubescent bitches whose parents yelled at them a couple of times and whose girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with them a few times who feel they must harm themselves to deal with issues that any idiot could easily do without cutting or whining. I loathe emo kids, yet I'm getting sucked into this pathetic-ass, watered-down, hardcore subculture known as emo because some of my friends are emo. My best friend Josh dabbles in it, which is so annoying. And then there's Greg, the kid I'm going to have to learn to deal with. People like him make me so glad I'm my own person. I like what I... Josh, (laughs) you are emo. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so clear. (laughs) Here's the the self-congratulatory part of my post. I like what I like, which is what you don't understand. I wear what you don't, which is different. And I act how you could never even fathom, which is mature. So that's... Oh my God, that is so emo. (laughs) So just 
pompously immature full of shit. So that's my rant for today. Yeah, I'm so tired of work. I got a shit. Shoes, shoes, which is German for bye. Yeah, because of the whole, you know, I wear what I want to wear. I act how you could never understand, which is mature. (laughs) I do totally, I remember Greg. He was actually a pretty cool kid. Um, I do remember actually having uh, that conversation with him. And I literally remember asking him, when did you know you're emo? And he said, "When I since I was born, but they just didn't have like music or clothes to describe it. And I, I remember, I will say that that is a little funny of a statement. Like, you know, it's like saying I was born a gangster, but I just hadn't discovered my hustle yet. You know, it's just it's kind of <laughs> like, what? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, your typical Josh Flower uh, fair there. Um, the epitome of emo. Yes. Diaries. Yes, the proverbial hair flip has been done on that one. Uh, all right, gang, uh, that's that's the end of the podcast. If you want to uh, hit us up on Patreon, you'll get the podcast early, usually, uh, and you can suggest uh, future episodes for us to cover. Um, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can follow us on Instagram at uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can follow us on Twitter at uncovering um. Please join our fan group on Facebook. Just go to the search bar, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and go to the group section. It's a very active, it's the most active group for us on social media, as none of our other social medias are that active. Um, The group is actually very active, though. Great community of people there. Um, And if you want to follow me and or Mike, but you want us separately, you don't like the, the whole togetherness aspect of us. Well, you're in luck, my feathered fucking friend. You can find us on our own YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie buff. He lifts DVDs uh, on a bench press bar and he got buff (laughs) from it. That makes him a movie buff. He does videos about fucking movies. What was the last video about fucking movies that you did, Mike? <laughs> the last uh, video uh, I did is one I uploaded two hours ago uh, when it comes to uh, the time that we're recording this. Uh, and it's a rant on Halloween 5. I, I hated that movie. I ranted on it for almost an hour. So um, if Halloween you, is Mike uh, Myers, right? Yeah, Michael Myers, yep. When did uh, Halloween 5 come out? 1989. Wow, that long ago. That sounds like one that would have come out like in 2003 or something. Nope. Because you know how like the fifth installment of anything is always way later, you know, than the first one? Well, not with this, not with these particular horror franchises. I mean, uh, at this particular point in time, in 1989, you had the fifth Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It came out the same year, and I think that I well no, it was the eighth uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. It came out eighty nine, if I remember correctly. I guess horror movies are easier to write, and there's probably more of a formula, so that's probably why they're able eh, to churn them out easier. They're not necessarily easier to write. Um, I would say it's easier to um, to fall back into tropes and to just create something you know lazily. Um, I, I guess it's easy to write them, but it's not easy to write good horror movies. 
How many of the Halloween movies are good in your opinion? To be perfectly honest, I think this is one of the most lackluster uh, horror franchises. Um, uh, it's one of my least favorite horror franchises because there's a really quite significant number of films in the franchise I'm, I really either don't like or I think suck or are below average. So you have the first film, which is a classic uh, by John Carpenter. Uh, the second one, which I think is, is, a, is a nice little gem in its own right. Um, you have Halloween three season of the witch, which is a standalone film. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It's its own story. Um, that's effective. And I really enjoy it. I'd probably say that's my second favorite Halloween film in the franchise is Halloween three. And that doesn't, that doesn't really have anything to do with the story of Michael Myers. And then you have Halloween four, which I like, but I don't love. I have some issues with it, but it's enjoyable enough. But then you have Halloween 5 and Michael Myers cries and <laughs> everything's overly complicated. He and the, uh, Yes. That's like the bat nipples. That's as bad as having bat nipples. He cries like the fucking uh, Native American in that commercial. The, trash, the, the know, 1970s the uh, trash, pulp, like literally. Yeah, the 70s trash commercial. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and uh, just. Really bad uh, writing, you know, they kill off one of the, the main characters, replace the character with an, one of the most annoying characters you will ever see in a movie, and they just randomly just threw shit and pulled shit out of their ass. They shot the film without a script, they were writing dialogue and writing a story while they were running the camera, which is never a good idea, and never really works out that well. And then, you know, Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers. It doesn't matter which version it is, whether it's the theatrical or the producer's cut. They both suck. <laughs> H2O, I, uh, I don't mind that. I know it's essentially just the Halloween version of Scream. But, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is back. And, it, you know, I, I think it's entertaining enough. Now, if you think, if then, you think Halloween is the weakest horror franchise, what would you say is the strongest horror franchise? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. So you have, and then after H2O, you have Resurrection, which completely, you know, fucks up all of the goodwill and everything that H2O did right with a stupid twist that makes no fucking sense as to why Michael Myers is still alive. Uh, some Scooby-Doo switch around, switcheroo bullshit. And uh, then you have, and then of course, that's the one with Buster Rhymes where he goes, trick or treat, motherfucker. Oh, God. You know. Yeah, and then you have Rob Zombie's Halloween or Rob Zombie's Fuckoweens because he just uh, cannot uh, stop having his character swear like fucking sailors uh, in, in, throughout his entire uh, franchise or his take on this franchise. I mean, there's a, in the second film in Rob Zombie's Halloween, there's an extended scene where Brad Dourif, who voices who has done a lot of things. He's most famous for voicing Chucky in the Child's Play films, which honestly is a franchise that's very similar to this in terms of, you know, the number of shitty sequels. So there's a scene in Halloween 2 directed by Rob Zombie where Brad Dourif is just sitting in a truck and he just says, fuck, what, what honestly feels like a dozen times. He's just like, fuck, 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 fuck. Fuck! And you're just like, when you think like it's just gonna stop, it just keeps going, and you're like, and, and you're someone joke? who doesn't even mind swearing. So for you to say that there's too much no. swearing, 
I, I get I get what you're saying though. Like uh, like there are certain songs like uh, uh, that that song WAP, uh, Wet Ass Pussy by Cardi B. That oh, yeah. song is fucking yeah, uh-huh. disgusting. Like mm-hmm. God, how fucking lowbrow has hip hop gotten? Mainstream hip hop, I should say. Like Jesus Christ, man! It's like I'm not a, a I'm not puritanical by any means, and I have no like I'm not the morality police on on lyrics or swearing. But fuck, man! Like that is just that song is yeah. disgusting. Like like get a mop in a bucket for this wet ass pussy. Ew! I don't like. I'm in. I'm into <laughs> chicks, and I don't. I don't that doesn't turn but me on. But here's the thing: like, you know, if a guy, you know, he, you know, if a male rapper did that, wouldn't work either. I think it doesn't work either way with that. I hate. Approach. I hate that that real dirty hip hop where they're just talking about, you know, like going in depth about sexual shit. It's just so class, like classless mm. and lowbrow. I mean, not not saying that music has to be classy, but like, I hate that. That there's no artistic validity to uh, when you get to a certain point when you when you abuse the English language. So I mean, there's so like there's so much power in language, and when you just go for the lowest of the low common denominator, wh- whether it's saying fuck twelve times or whether it's like just just going in depth about disgusting mm. sexual acts in a song. It's just like you, you, you. It's a cop out. That's it, all it is. It's a fucking cop out. You just. I'll give WAP this. At least it is more creative than Rob Zombie's dialogue is most of the time. <laughs> that was a good one. You know, because Rob Zombie's dialogue is just you know uh, just a bunch. Let's throw a fuck in here, and then you know an ass, and then a, and all this other he, shit. He's kind of gained this uh, cult reputation as like yeah. this uh, real artisan of the horror. Well, it's movie. because he has like the you know, trailer trash. You know, he just throws this. It's it's trailer trash storytelling. That's his main thing. Um, and I haven't seen the 2018 Halloween yet, but I've heard that it's basically just the greatest hits of the Halloween films, and it's ignoring the second movie as if it didn't exist, and it's the real sequel. And it's like, and then there's all these references to the sequels that it's trying to say aren't canon, which is just like, I and I'm honestly getting sick of that anyway. These sequels. That like just have these lazy nods to the fans, like, oh hey, you remember that? Remember this? Like, you know, Jurassic World. Have you seen Jurassic World? No. So there was a, there was there were so many scenes. I was like, hey, you remember those goggles that the kid wore in that one scene in Jurassic Park? Well, here they are again. Remember that uh, Jeep? They drive the same Jeep. Oh God, it's like the mem- remember berries. Yes. Yes, but unironically. And uh, so, yeah, but when it comes to franchises, I, my favorite horror franchise is Nightmare on Elm Street. Because uh, the, there's only two films that I don't like in Five and uh, the remake. Because the other ones, I you know, for the most part, I really enjoy. Uh, you know, some are better than others, but I still find them, you know, for the most part, consistently entertaining at the very least. Um, I can't really say that about Halloween. What's the fucking, what's the movies that Jace, J, uh, Jason Voorhees is in? What's the name of the Friday the 13th. I don't mind that franchise either. It, Friday the 13th is like popcorn horror, you know, popcorn, it, it, you know, it's, it's disposable fast food kind of, you know, horror, but it's enjoyable. It's entertaining enough. 
Uh, there are some films in that franchise I'm not too fond of as well, but I would say I would take that over Halloween. Nice. So go over to Mike's channel if you want to. If uh, if that didn't fucking wet your wet your appetite enough, <laughs> uh, we'll get a mop in a bucket to clean it up. Um, oh my god! So if you want to check out if wow. you want to check out my uh, YouTube channel, it's YouTube.com/slash/DancingWithGhosts. And uh, I talk about a lot of uh, music-related stuff. If Mike's the mo- uh, movie buff, I'm the music buff. And I just did an album ranking video for the band Depeche Mode, the uh, 1980s synth-pop band, although they did go pretty uh, into the industrial heavy grunge kind of sound in the 90s, which is my favorite period, but I rate all their albums um, because they... Isn't that period like one of the, you know... Uh what a lot of fans consider to be uh, their lesser period. The 90s? Or, yeah. No, not, I mean, not really. Um, Depeche Mode, to me, I don't really think, like, I don't really think the fan, well, uh, when Alan Wilder left, who was um, one of the multi-instrumentalists who joined the band, mm-hmm. I think, on their third album, and then left in, uh, I think, after their 1997 album, Ultra, uh, pretty much every album after he left is regarded as not as good, uh, which I would definitely agree with. Uh, he had he had a lot to do with shaping the sound of um, their most popular albums. It's it's kind of like uh, you could make the argument that when Jason Newstead left the Metallica, like they started to suck after that because then the, the the very next album they release is Saint Anger. But then again, he did play bass mm-hmm. on Load and Reload, which a bunch of fans hate as well. Um, but that's the latest video I did because Depeche Mode is getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2020. Um, at, at this point, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is just going all fast and loose with the term rock and roll. And why not have Depeche Mode in there? Fuck it. I mean, you already got, uh, yeah. you know, uh, like all these rappers and Simon and Garfunkel and fucking ABBA. So at this point, the title is meaningless, uh, rock and roll. And I know they're trying to say it's a spirit. It's the spirit of uh, it's not it's not a a distorted guitar. Okay, whatever. Um, So, yeah, why not have Depeche Mode in there? I just think they should rename it to the Music Hall of Fame instead of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because uh, it's it's really uh, in in name Mm -hmm. only at this point. But um you know what? What's crazy is um, I, one of the one of my uh, most recent uh, experiences with Depeche Mode was actually watching Aquaman, the new one. Yeah, uh, is there music in there? Yeah, they use "It's No Good." Okay, that's a good song. So there's it's a montage of Black Manta building his armor, and I thought you know it was a really cool scene, and I, I instantly you know went in and tried to find that song and listen to it, and I really liked it. It's Gonna a really take good my song. Time. I've got all the time in the world to make you mine. Yeah, it's a good song. Don't despite say the what fact me. that it's called, it's no good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was off of uh, their 1997 album Ultra, I believe. Uh, pretty sure yeah that mm-hmm. song was that's uh that's that was like my last like favorite album they did uh then everything after that i was just kind of uh, you know meh on but yeah mm-hmm. they're like one of my favorite bands honestly they're so innovative and uh I, I feel like they i feel like they're underappreciated even though they have millions of fans but i think they're one of those bands that 
Um, their hit songs have propelled them to have as many fans as they do. Personal Jesus. Personal Jesus. Yeah. Enjoy the silence. You know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. people are people. Uh, just can't, just can't, just can't get, get enough. enough. Yeah. But see, Depeche, like, like t- you could take an artist like Elton John and be like, okay, his hit songs really are the cream of the crop. There's not a lot of Elton John deep cuts that are better than his, than his yeah. hit songs. Yeah. Depeche Mode is not that band at all. There are so many great Depeche Mode songs that just so they're similar to you uh, when it comes to like Genesis, right? Because you, do you feel that way about Genesis? Oh, abs- oh absolutely. In yeah. fact, Genesis is the opposite. Like some of Genesis' worst songs are their hits because they're just mm-hmm. poppy, disposable, and their best stuff is the stuff that they will never play on the radio. Depeche Mode's like a happy mix in between. Uh, the, their deep cuts are are good, and their hits are good. Um, I wouldn't say their hits are bad. Uh, they're just not, uh, you know, they're just not as as explorative and as as unique as their deeper cuts. Uh, I would my advice for anyone who even has a working like of Depeche Mode, just check out their greatest hits. You might find that there's some songs on there that you've never heard that you're like, oh wow, this is really cool. Um, and, and they're mm. one of those bands that they're hard to classify as far as genre, which I can respect because my band Dancing with Ghosts is that same way. It's hard to kind of classify like what genre we are. I, I, I discovered the other day some of my favorite bands of all time are the bands that are the hardest to classify as far as genre. So it, it kind of makes sense that my band would be the same way in that regard. So anyway, that's our uh, fucking podcast. I'm tired of talking. Um... Yeah, until next week, have a good rest of your day or night. Bye. See ya.